Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And those uh, who are going to little worship at this time can be dismissed. And as we, we transition uh, now, um, let's go ahead and pray uh, while we're transitioning. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I know in, in a world where uh, we, we have so much information coming at us, uh, we can watch loads of YouTube and TED Talks and podcasts and just all sorts of things. Um, and so what we're about to do can, can feel very pedestrian. Um, and yet, uh, Lord, we ask that you would use this almost fool of a man as he preaches uh, a not-so-foolish word. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us really ears to hear the absolutely stunning beauty that is the gospel. May you set our hearts on fire uh, this morning. So Holy Spirit, come, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. Uh, let's, this, is God's, uh, this is God's word. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in the one house, or in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. <laughs> you hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. And why do you not judge for yourself, yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is God's word. It's a hard word, right? Uh, the, the fact that uh, you will be thrown in hell until you, are, you have paid the last penny. Of course, we know that the depths of our sin is something that we can never pay, right? This is a hard passage, and it sounds especially hard in our culture today because we live in a world that's kind of turned off by dogmatic thinking, right? Uh, the way to, to get ahead in our culture is really just kind of be vague, right? Uh, just, yeah. Just be vague. Uh, you can go a lot further by not taking a stand. And so, look, this isn't just the ramblings of some southern Presbyterian pastor. Uh, the survey data is, is, I mean, it's literally in. Uh, today, there's a growing number, not of, not of unbelievers, uh, not even of liberal believers, but of evangelical Christians, some 53% of whom 
not only believe that there are multiple ways to God, but really all religions can lead to God, evangelical Christians. Uh, we are growing up in a church now that's a lot like that famous Jim Carrey interview uh, when he was interviewed for 60 Minutes, uh, when he said, look, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Christian, I'm whatever you want me to be. It, it's all, it all comes down to the same thing. It's all the same. So in, in an age of tolerance, right, and in an age of, uh, well, a culture where, let's just, you don't yuck other people's yum, this passage kind of challenges that, right? Then, as, as one pastor said, another reason this is a hard passage is because this isn't how Christians are used to hearing Christianity taught. You know, often sermons today can be more you know, kind of like self-improvement seminar with a little Bible sprinkled in. Or, or we hear the gospel of social justice and social reform and inclusion and love. You know, love is God. And, and then even to us, you know, as I would say, as like at least our branch of Christianity, we're kind of like the, the gospel of grace aloneers, right? And, and we read passages like this, and we say, this doesn't sound like that gracious Jesus we like to talk about. So what gives? Um, well, this is hard to hear, but it did come from the lips of our good Savior, which means there's goodness to be learned even here. There's goodness to be heard even in the hard uh, we see, we see Jesus' heart, which to begin with is a heart, and we're going to kind of do it backwards. We're going to start in the second half, then do the first half. So to begin with, we see that Jesus has a heart uh, that, that issues a loving warning. You, you know, you don't warn people who you hate, right? You know, there's somebody maybe you don't like. You don't really warn them that, like, it's probably, you probably shouldn't go that way. Um, you, you warn those you love, Right? You warn people you love. You know, towards the end of our passage, Jesus just shoots us, and he's shooting them straight. He asks, do, do, do you see what's happening? Because obviously, in some of them, they couldn't quite get it, that, that he was the Messiah. They couldn't read the room. Are you truly awake to the situation? You know, back then, you know, they didn't have Doppler radars or satellite imaging or cool, like, GPS technology. Uh, but they could still, I mean, they could look and... They could look to the west, and they knew that a, cloud, a rain or a cloud coming off of the Mediterranean Sea meant, tut, tut, it looks like rain, right? And so it was. And they knew that the wind blowing from the south coming off of that hot desert meant, look, heat wave is coming. Scorching heat was there, and sure enough, it turned out to be hot. Um, so w when I walk out of the office, on, on, especially in the winter, on like a daily basis, typically walk out that direction, and I know that if the wind is blowing from the Patridge's home, no offense, Patridge's, if, the, if the, that wind is blowing from the Patridge's home, I know it is going to be cold. That's that Patridge cold wind, right? And, and you've you got to bundle up because that's that cold north wind, right? Um, we, we, like, especially in farmers, people who are outside, like, you get that, right? You can kind of look at the sky. You can generally kind of see the weather and generally kind of see what, what's going on, right? Well, they could see all of that, but they, could, they couldn't see what Jesus was about. Well, begs the question, what about us today, right? From fashion, fashion people telling us, like, they can just foretell what trend is coming in, you know, to sports analysis, like, their job is to speculate on what's happening in the locker room, what's going on, and they seem to just know what's happening. You know, market analysis uh, telling us what's, you know, how to read the market, what's going on in the economy, all the way down to like things like 
this is how sad my life has gotten. So I, I'm starting to watch documentaries about Pez dispensers, okay? Um, so so there's even like these analysts that are in the Pez dispenser market that can tell you which one's popular, which one costs more money. It's this whole world. Like, and, and Jesus is like, well, we've got, we've got analysts and specialists who tell us what's going on in virtually every area of life. And Jesus says, y'all are such hypocrites. Jesus says, look, y'all know how to read the sky. Y'all know how to read the NFL draft grades. Y'all know how the, the fashion trends. Uh, but, but are y'all seeing what's ultimately going on? Like, like are, are, you, are we truly awake? Are, are we seeing that the reality of the pain and the suffering and the evil that we experience, do, do we see what that's telling us? And do we see that you know, this mess that was up in Memphis? Uh, do we see that the fraud you know, that rocked our community last year, that the heartbreak we experience are all crying that, that we need a hero. We're, it's crying out for justice. And, and so, you know, the question is, are we... Because one temptation is just to numb ourselves or to distract ourselves to that reality. Um, or Jesus is calling us to, to soberly interpret the present time, to see what's really going on. How, how are we making sense of it, right? And, and so we could, like probably many take kind of the more evolutionary, at least philosophical approach that, that evil and suffering and injustice aren't really inherently morally wrong. They, they're just kind of part of life. But, but don't worry, right, because the strong will triumph and life will find a way and we're going to be okay. Yet deep in our bones, that thought doesn't, it just doesn't jive with our lived experience, does it? Because if, if evil and suffering and injustice is the way it always has been, always will be, then, then how do we explain that innate notion we have that it, it shouldn't be this way? Why does it bother us so? And, of course, there's a, a more objective problem with more kind of this evolutionary philosophical thinking. It, it's, it's why is there something now? Why are we even here, right? Why is there something instead of nothing? Um, and then I, I, how could... How could something magically happen that we are, that we are alive? Y'all realize that something non-organic becoming organic ha has never been observed. Um, and, and so they just, it's, it's, it's magic. Um, it is something happened a long time ago that is unexplainable. And, and look, uh, apologetics aside, here's, here's the point. Us being, if you want to call it, the Christian version of, of woke. Us waking up and walking out of Plato's cave and understanding the times means knowing that a long time ago something unexplainable did happen. Right? That God spoke and created everything out of nothing. And as creator, that means that he has, he has every right to establish how his creation was designed to work and flourish best. And we're told it was good, it was perfect. But we also know that things didn't stay that way, right? That first man went against God's good design, and with that sin came the fall. And, and we lost that intimate relationship we were created to have with God. Like, we are not complete without that. We, we lost his face, and we were cast out. And sure, you can say, look, you, sure, you, some of y'all got great jobs, y'all got great family, Y'all have got maybe bukus of money. It seems like you have really been blessed. And still, because of the fall, things are way worse than we think, even with all the blessing. 
We are natural-born God-haters, and unless something supernaturally happens, God-haters we remain. And the pain and the suffering and the groaning of our fallen world are all screaming that we must be made right with our maker. And what did Lewis say? C.S. Lewis, he said that pain is God's megaphone, megaphone, right, to rouse the deaf world, right, to wake you up, right? And so Jesus says, are you aware? Like, are you aware of where you cosmically stand? Because if you are, let me give you just a little, little legal advice here. He's saying, like, if, if you're guilty of something, there, there's no defense. You are guilty. He says it's always, always better to settle out of court. Just go ahead and settle, okay? Uh, you go, you get with your lawyer, you get with the judge, and you all figure things out. Okay. When the, in the same way, in the bottom of our passage, here's the warning. Jesus is saying, if you know that you're guilty of sin, and you know you don't have the Father's face, Jesus is offering you an opportunity to settle out of court, so to speak, before it's too late. There's coming a time when this grace period is going to be over, but for now, Jesus says, look, I got a way forward for you. Like, like we, there's a way for you to get through this. Um, y'all, by his life and death, Jesus made a way not only for your record to be expunged, to be, to be cleaned, wiped clean, but Jesus takes it a step further and says, if you are in him, he, then, he gives you his record. Okay? And y'all, that's what the gospel is all about which coincidentally was also what Jesus was all about. Which brings us to our second point then about Jesus' heart. We, we see what Jesus longs for. We see what he was passionate about. On the surface, first part of the passage, verses 49 through 53, come across a little harsh, right? It's like fire and wrath and division. No thank you, right? Uh, what happened to that like gentle, Jesus, gentle and lowly thing? Can we get, do that study again, please? Um, and it is hard, yet if you, you stop and, and actually hear what Jesus is telling us, I think we're going to find a different message for believers. In fact, I would argue that there are a few places in all of Scripture that we see the desires of Jesus' heart more clearly than we do right here. So you want to know what drove him, what Jesus was all about. Verse 49, Jesus says, My deepest desire is to bring a fire. Okay, well, what, what, what fire is he talking about? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about fire, you know, from what Bob read this morning, the, the refiner's fire of Malachi, to the, uh, the, the tongues at the fire at Pentecost, all the way to the lake of fire in Revelation, right? Uh, we see that throughout the Bible, we see that this, this fire that Jesus brings has is a twofold effect. That, that one, it's a, a fire of consuming judgment, right? That it reveals things as they truly, truly are. Um, it, it destroys the chaff. It just, anything that's not lasting, anything that's combustible, gone. And, and then, then two, we see that it's a fire of purification. Right? Anything that's not combustible will be purified. And, and two, a non-believer, um, this is the scariest thing. Even, even if they don't, I don't know if y'all saw, there was this YouTube clip making the rounds this, this, uh, this week about this old philosopher, uh, atheist philosopher who's in his 90s. He's never feared death his entire life. He's so stupid to fear death. And yet here he is on death's door, and he finds himself fearing death. And uh, I, now we, we, ha- we can put a label on that, but sometimes non believers can't. But this is what that is. 
This is what that dread and that fear of death is. But to believers, it's different. As Bob read in Malachi, we're told that God in this fire, he comes, it's more of like a refiner's fire, which means this, this process of purification, of being made more like God, isn't like a crock pot, you know, where you just you, you load it up, you turn up the heat, and then like, I don't know, you like leave the house, right? No, he, he uses this picture of refiner because refining silver required, requires intricate attention. You know, like you, once you start, you, you don't step away. I mean, you step away, it's ruined. And so too little heat, the dross isn't burned off. Too much heat, and it, the silver loses its, its shine. Uh, it has to be just right. And, and so what we find is that we don't always understand but as, as Christians, God puts just enough trial and just enough heat on us to wean us away from the world and to make us more like him. And like a refiner, he knows that the process is complete when all the dross is burned off and he can see his, his reflection shining back. That's the goal, right? To follow Jesus, to be in Jesus, like Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he is doing now through the Spirit, and that's what he will fully do when he returns. Okay, so fire. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But then Jesus also talks about this baptism, which at this point, Jesus, he's already been baptized by John the Baptist. So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about his baptism into death on the cross. He's talking about this other thing that's going to be poured over him, the wrath of God poured out on him for our sin. And, and like, you, you want to know, like, want to know what drove Jesus. Every step he took was taking him a step closer, a step towards being your Savior and being your substitute. Like, every single second, love drove him to take your shame and to take your guilt, to take to take your disobedience on himself so that if you were in him, you could be free and a beloved daughter, a beloved son of the God of the universe. And so what drove Jesus was he was driven by getting all of his people back home. And so, yes, this is a hard teaching, but, but like, can, we, can we go here just for a second? Maybe this is the takeaway today. In a world where evil and pain and suffering seem to have the run of the place. And where we wake up every single morning to new heartbreaks, right? New violence in town. Loved ones passing, friends hurting, miscarriages occurring, health failing. <laughs> the, the unbelieving world is like cutting through us like a knife. And, and we cry out for justice, right? We, we get so tired. Wonder, what, what is, the, is there any hope here at all? What's the deal? And to that, Jesus says, Jesus steps into our most intense moments and he says, I am the deal. Like in this passage, he's saying, as much as you long for evil and pain and death and suffering to be done, like as, much as, as much as you long for like no kids to get cancer ever again, or for all the bullies to be silenced, Jesus is like, I long for that even more. Jesus says, so righteously angry am I that I, I wish it was today. I wish it was today. That suffering and evil and pain would be burned up by the fire of God's holiness today. And I don't know about you, but hearing that from my Savior gives me a lot of hope. 
But our gracious God, he's a, he's a patient God. And so though Jesus says that you know, this hasn't fully happened yet, he says, trust me, be of good cheer, it's coming. All things will be made new. So um, I don't know if your kids are anything like ours, but Jude uh, loves to drop hints. He, he, Jude thinks that Annie and I just apparently just have no memory of anything. Right? And uh, so the first you know, months preceding Jude's birthday, he's always talking about his birthday, what we're going to do, and he doesn't want us to forget, and hey, by the way, it's my birthday, and this is what I want to do. And next day he does the same thing over and over again because he thinks we're not thinking about it, and we're like, Jude, your birthday is on our mind. Okay, like we are thinking about your birthday. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes I, I think that Jesus forgets that this life is really hard and that pain and suffering and injustice just eat us up. But here Jesus is saying, look, that's on my mind. I haven't forgot, okay? Like, I, I got you. I have not forgot. That is on my divine mind. But y'all, in the meantime, while we wait, Jesus has already begun his recreating work you know, for his people on the cross. So if, if you are Christ, you are not who you used to be. Okay? I, know, I know that we all carry past in with us, but you are not your past. You are a new creation. And as exciting as that is, Jesus tells us that, that being a new creation can also cause some issues. Uh, you know, because things that are alive don't mesh so well with things that are dead. This is why the whole, you know, equally yoked thing is vital to, to marriage, right? He says, there will be a division. Verse 51, Jesus said, do you think that I came to bring peace? And, and to that we might say, uh, yeah, right? I, I'm sorry, I thought this was what it was about, right? Didn't Isaiah prophesy that you would be the prince of peace? And when the angels came to announce your arrival to the shepherds, remember what they said in Luke 2? You know, the, the angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Even Zechariah, the old man, prophesied that Jesus would be the one to guide our feet in the way of peace. When Jesus taught, he taught, blessed are the, the peacemakers. And then it, later in Luke, when he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, he's weeping, he says, would that you had known this day the things that make for peace. I mean, it, it seems like peace is pretty important to Jesus. So what, is this one of those contradictions Skeptics are always talking about. Okay. Well, we see throughout Scripture that there are different types of peace, right? And in Colossians, Paul tells us about the peace that Jesus promises, uh, where he says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. So if you're in Christ... You are at peace with God, full stop. Your, your greatest problem has been dealt with. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is giving us this cosmic reality check that if you are at peace with the world, that means that you are at odds with God. But the opposite is also true. If you are at peace with God, then that makes you at odds with the world, right? The unbelieving world will hate us because it hated Jesus first. And so we, like Jesus' goal isn't to divide families. What he's saying here is, is as the gospel revolutionizes your life, gives you a new love, like, like this is like actual conversion. Like if you are actually a believer, uh, it may very well put you at odds with those closest to you. 
You know, if we follow Jesus, we will experience division. There will be times when, as a Christian, you are too liberal for your conservative friends. How could you? And there are also times when you're going to be too conservative for your liberal friends. And, and look, granted, look, some Christians suffer not because they follow Jesus. They just suffer because they're just, they're just judgmental jerks, right? They're just buffoons. But regardless, Paul said, all who desire to live a godly life will experience persecution. And so Jesus is preparing us for that with this, this whole concept of division. And so to borrow from Alistair Begg, he says, you know, you may be thinking, well, look, there's no division in my family. There's no division with my people. Well, to that we need to ask the question, what, what is the basis of your unity? Uh, is it that you are all one in Christ Jesus, or could it be that you are all one in your sin? Uh, maybe you bond over your shared idol. Uh, is it is the peace of Christ, or is it the peace of indifference to Christ that unites you? Is it that you are all truly converted, or could you just all be going through the motions, and you'll all kind of have this superstitious thing where, you know, I'm not going to do it, never mind. Um, or with friendships, right? Uh, is your unity based on who you are in Christ, or is it that you party together and drink together and tailgate together and work out together and raise kids together and travel together, right? I mean, y'all just sound like y'all be best friends without the gospel, right? Is your unity based on the gospel, or does the lack of it reveal a need for Jesus? So this is really just a, an opportunity to ponder your life. So if you're in Christ, you are promised peace with God, uh, peace with other believers, all the while knowing that we, we, won't have, you know, we will not have peace with this world until the final fire falls and Jesus makes all things new. But knowing, you know, knowing this reality has led for the last 2,000 years Christians to respond by crying out, Maranatha, you've probably heard that word, it just says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that just this revelation that as much as we hate injustice, um, you hate it even more. As much as we long for pain and death and cancer and heartbreak to end, you long for it as well, and there's coming a day where you're going to make all things new. Uh, so, Lord, until that day, may we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, as we, as we transition now to the Lord's table, we ask that you would take these common everyday elements, you would set them apart to be a means of your grace to your people to remind us uh, not only of whose we are, but, but who we are in Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.